The comeback is one of the greatest stories told in sports, but it's also one of the greatest stories told in rehab. You're listening to Comeback Season, a sports medicine podcast that educates and inspires others through tales of triumphs over injuries. We're your hosts. I'm Marcos. And I'm LG. We're doctors of physical therapy with the board certification in sports. Each week, we will introduce you to amazing individuals and their journey to discover the power of the human spirit when the human body appeared broken. Listen to the lessons they have learned and how their rise was greater than the fall. What up, everybody? You are listening to Comeback Season. This is the show that brings you tales of triumphs over injuries. I'm your host, Marcos, and I'm here with my dog, LG. Today, folks, we have a really amazing guest. Before I introduce him, I just want to let you know how excited I am because today we are actually interviewing somebody from my sports background. In the past, we have sat down with a couple of LG's teammates from the sport of football at Notre Dame, but today we get to chop it up with one of my peoples, and his name is Martinez Martin. Martinez hails from Lone Oak, Arkansas, but he currently resides in Austin, Texas, where he is the CEO of Hoop Grind Daily, which is an elite basketball performance training facility in Austin, Texas. Martinez, welcome. My boy, what up, what up, what up? Welcome, I'm ready. So, Thank you for coming on. Uh, you hail from home, you hail from Lone Oak. Please tell LG what it was like growing up there. Because I tried to paint yeah, the picture about like how how small it is, oh, uh, man. what it's like. Just give him a little rundown. A lot of uh, one Arkansas is just known for a natural state for one. So uh, Lone Oak, Arkansas, man, really it's town of it's a town, not a city. <laughs> Nothing but you know, and town of about four thousand people. I would say four thousand, but uh, it might be a little short changing it also. But uh, I know with with us growing up, it was a town that was a little different than any other small towns to me. Is one when it came to sport, it was like a mecca. When it came to basketball and football, it was a it was just a different 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 side of small town when you see it and. Some people would call us a city town when it came to us playing sports because of the style of how we play. Um, I would say growing up, like me personally, I grew up and I was raised on a hog pen with my grandfather as a kid, all the way up to at least about 10, 11 years old. So, you know, you got a lot of farming, you got a lot of just countryside. So you don't have a means of just looking around and seeing just crazy opportunity of trying to do more than just a factory job, you know, but it was the life, though. It was special to me. You know, everybody knows everybody. Every family is everybody else's family. You know, so you run in the neighborhoods. Everybody going to know each other. Everybody going to look out for each other as well. So I think it was like a dope setting for a small town that I'll take over any city that I've, I've been. Martinez, before we get into your, your college journey, we're going we're gonna to quickly throw it back. Uh, me and Martinez were teammates on our – 03 state championship basketball finalist squad uh, from Lone Oak, mm -hmm. Arkansas. Martinez was our starting point guard. We fell home the trophy by three points. Every time three. I think about that, uh, it gets a little bit heartbreaking. Uh, but I will oh say it was, it was pretty dope uh, playing in a championship game at that level. When you go up in a small town, it kind of really gives you that 
that Friday night lights feel where like the whole oh city town like riles Shut behind down. the team. It's like it's it's crazy. It's like it's something I can't even really describe. Yeah, the, the town shuts down. Everything's closed. Everybody's at the game. Them days, right. boy. Yeah. Before we get into how you got into basketball training, let's just talk about how you got into basketball. Right. Who put the ball mm. in your hand? Oh, man. One, I, I I wouldn't say it like, like with a pride or ego, but I just – I really love basketball just as a kid a lot. But, um, man, my family – my family is just a – my whole family is just athletes, like my uncles and everybody, like my Moraney side of the town. They like everybody plays sports, so I was always around it a lot. And then my uncle, he was pretty much like a legendary coach that coached uh, Pine Bluff High School. And so even just as a little pup, I, I was always going down there just even watching practice or anything like that. It was basketball was just always like our sport in our family, like whether we were getting having get togethers it was going to be a rollout of a basketball somehow, some way. And the first time I seen that ball was, man, I just fell in love with it. But I'll say my, my big brother, my brother played ball, my big cousins. And it was more like an NBA finals for me to even be able to play with them because they always would tell me I was too little. So I had a, had a time where I, I finally felt like I got better and I got a little older and they picked me up to play outside with them. Uh, I feel like that was like the NBA Finals or something like draft day. I thought I got picked up on like the best team in the world, you know. But uh, I would say just family, man. Like we we just always had a niche with it. It was never like a force upon. I I always just loved watching it. I I've always was just a student of basketball, where I just I was I was, I really felt like I was a different kid because I didn't like playing with toys or anything. Like you can just give me a basketball or a football. I was just gonna do that all day, and. My mother, my mother always put a ball in my hands for sure. But uh, I would say holiday time, Christmas, my mom would uh, even give me toys. And i open up all the toys and she'll wrap up my same old basketball in newspaper or whatever. And i open it up and be happy and just go outside and play with it. And I'm not even playing with none of the new stuff, you know. So basketball was just always engraved in me in a, in a different way. of just, I don't know, it just seemed like it was always fun, therapeutic and everything else for me. Uh, that's something that, I, that comes up quite a bit with a lot of young athletes that I work with. Um, I mean, the physical therapy side and the performance side, uh, no matter what sport it, it is, it's that intrinsic motivation, that motivation from within, like that falling in love with the game uh, and really understanding, mm-hmm. you know, just discipline as a whole to be a great athlete, certain things that you don't want to do, you know, with you working with yeah, young athletes to, to, to elite athletes, what do you typically see in those that that have that discipline? Is it something that you feel like is innate where you just got it or you don't? Is it something that can be coached? Uh, how do you how do you approach that with your athletes that you train? So uh, I would say one, uh, I've had the privilege of being able to do this now for like 12 years, 12, 13 years now. And uh, over the time, I've been able to be blessed to run into a lot of talented kids at a young age where I was able to catch them young and develop a lot, but uh, I'll never, I'll never take claim for them, but uh, I've had probably, I want to say six McDonald's All-Americans and uh, countless uh, all-state kids and countless all-region and all-conference. Uh, 
And uh, I just had this com- uh, conversation not too long ago was like, man, it's crazy the difference in the, uh, I don't want to say work ethic, like I'm I'm slandering the kid that was all conference, but it's, it's like a mindset. So like the all conference kid and the all conference and the all regional kid, they they sort of have sort of like a very similar mindset to where they like working out, they like training, they like getting better. But like, I like challenging my kids differently. Like, so if you if you're a talented kid, I like to put you with kids that just can't play at all mm-hmm. because I develop differently when it comes to detail oriented things. But I put you in that setting so I can see how you respond on the mental side. Like, are is he a, a leader or is he somebody that's going to be pouty and looking like I can't work out with these kids because they're not the same caliber. So me, right. I don't I don't like to put kids in a box of making them feel like they're better. Like nobody's special in here because we always going to get better. Mm-hmm. So I always challenge a kid that may be a little better. I don't care what grade they may be in, but I would tell them all the time. It's like, if you're a leader, you shouldn't be in here pounding because you should always be able to show as leadership role, this kid, how to do this, especially if you already know how. So you got to lead by, it teaches you to lead by example or learn how to be vocal and help others. Like, with me personally, it's always more than just a basketball on the court. It's more, how do you help others when you know you got the, you got the things that you know. So give the tools back to somebody else, you know. So I would say, like with all conference, all regional kids, they they tend to get pouty when they're around kids that's not like their caliber. What I notice about all state and all American kids, they don't care. They could care less if they working out with a third grader or a 12th grader or if a kid is just like them. For instance, like uh, one of my recent guys that's in the NBA that plays for the Blazers, uh, Greg Brown. Greg, I've been around Greg since like seventh grade. And Greg started developing and becoming something special. He was, he already had a mentality, for one, and he always had the confidence of feeling like he could do whatever, even when he wasn't as good. And that's one thing that I noticed that separated a lot of kids is some had to build up their confidence. Some already had it. But uh, with him, by the time he became like a top 10 player in the nation, by sophomore year, shoot, he'll call me and be like, hey, you in the gym? I'm like, yeah, I got my sixth graders. All right, Mm -hmm. I'm on my way. He'll work out with the sixth graders. He'll work out with the ninth graders. Then he'll work out with the seniors. It didn't matter for him because he was actually building something to make these kids have something to look up to in a sense, you know? So it allowed these kids to be even more motivated to see the talent, you know? So I would say like, just really it's the mentality that it would be the separation really or, or overall confidence of believing in itself to feel like they can help others. I say, I say that's like a big separation in it all. Yeah, I think we even see that in rehab on a regular mm-hmm. basis too. You know, Marcos and I, the kids that come in and the mindset of what rehab is now, don't get me wrong. I mean, you have some of the greatest athletes who've never been hurt before come down with some type of devastating injury and mentally it can break them in the beginning or shake them. Obviously your support system and helps mm-hmm. with that. And there's a lot of variables in how you recover, but the ones that do the best, uh, the ones that come out on the other side, not necessarily the quickest, but take rehab and embrace rehab as, as part of their new life you know it's it's one thing to right. look at rehab is oh, this is rehab i gotta get through it but we always try to shift that mindset and and assist them and understanding like all right man this is this is your rehab but this is your new basketball like this mm-hmm. is what you did 
look forward to with basketball. This is kind of how you have to approach your rehab so we can maximize this time that we're together so you can come back even better than before. Uh, So it's almost like it was seamless. And Uh kids that are able to to grasp grasp that uh, the easiest and the quickest uh, are those that that do the best uh, coming out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so. Most definitely. But yeah, I'll also uh, add on to that too, is like, you know, you can, as long as you understand how to be personable with kids and be able to connect and understand the different mentalities or different personalities, because kids are a lot different than what it may have been when we were growing up. But um, you just got to learn, learn the personalities and figure out their niche of how they how they develop sometimes too and i've seen some of one kid that she always was overlooked but she built that confidence up from junior year to her 12th grade year where she went from freaking eight and nine points a game to 32 a game but it was really all just mentality and we just would talk a lot more and i made just just allowing herself to be able to believe and she ended up becoming the all-time leading scorer at George Mason in three years. And he was player a year there, her second year there as a sophomore, and averaged 20 all three years, and left there and was a starting point guard at Indiana for two years. And now she's overseas in Spain. But but her mentality was just, she never got discouraged, even when it wasn't going right for her. She, yeah. she always kept the same mentality, same positive energy, learned how to turn the negative into a positive, and never harped on herself. She never allowed any coach or anybody that didn't believe. She never complained. She never – she took constructive criticism and just ate it, you know? Right. I, f- I feel like Martinez, to, like, kind of help develop some like that, <clears throat> you kind of have to have a strong mindset yourself in order mm-hmm. to kind of give that wisdom uh, to the next generation. So where does that come from for you? Uh, my mindset, man, like like even just at the start of our conversation, just really coming from the town, coming from Lolo, coming from a small town, for one, is you already have to have some type of mentality to be able to get out of there. Because like I said earlier, is we don't we don't get to just be able to see the opportunities to be able to do the things that we're doing today like you being in miami or me being in austin texas and we're actually finding purpose you know like purpose was really just you know just living you know just try to get that check you know and that started there but the mentality for me was my my mentality was always coming from family and we i dealt with a lot of things growing up of a lot of people getting sick a lot of people passing early and my grandfather passing and going through what he went through for six years and then my mother battling with a brain tumor and then cancer all through high school and or uh, just small things of intangibles like that or like not to knock my father like that or anything but my father leaving leaving the family around 15 16 years old it was always a built up bridge and gap where everything that I knew as mentality was to learn is family is everything and family may not always be there. So you have to have you because if you want more out of this life, you got to learn how to believe in yourself. And the biggest stretches that I always had was learning how to triumph and persevere. So perseverance was always my mentality was to just persevere through anything, fight through anything, 
Like, I'm a 5'7 point guard, you know, like, it, the, the back was already against the wall, so I knew I had to work, you know. But the mentality started just all through my family. Uh, just the battles that we had to go with then of just battling so many different type of sicknesses or learning the strength that they had to show. You know, my mother, I never even knew, I didn't know how serious cancer was just because of how my mother approached it with me, you know until you know that time came like i like i knew the brain tumor was serious because i practically was basically living at the crib at home by myself because my brother was living with my grandmother so she was in the hospital a lot you know so the mentality just started with me just being having to be alone and learning how to fend for myself a little bit you know not like saying i don't have family around me but when those doors shut i was in them cribs by myself i was in the mental by myself you know I used to have these conversations with my father all the time because my dad was army, we we're military. There was nothing that in my life where I necessarily needed for anything. You know, we had food, shelter, clothing. Um, mm -hmm. I, I I don't remember until I got you know older out of the house, anybody dying from cancer, like uh, any sickness on our family, anything where I was able to draw motivation. Uh, from pains, from from injury, from I didn't have anything, you know, that so I could just point to. That's what mm -hmm. gets me. That's why I play football. Um, mm -hmm. My dad would have that conversation with me very often at a young age, and I look back, I'm very thankful for it because it was a very adult conversation. Of right. you do not have, you don't come from the same environment that some of the people that you're competing against come from, so right. you're already at a disadvantage. You're, you know, I'm not from I'm not from Lone Oak where, you know, the, the goal is like to get out of Lone Oak. You know, Lone Oak, you, mm -hmm. you, know, you want to stay there. You know, I was on military base. I, mean, I can't say that I wanted to stay at the military base, but, you know, everybody's coming from all over the country. You've got all these resources. Um, and it was trying to make me understand at a young age, like, if you want to play Division One football, you're gonna have to work harder than the next person for sure because mm -hmm. driving them is probably gonna be driving them harder than what's driving you. But mm -hmm. you better find something to drive you and push you that well, much definitely. harder so you can compete. Um and I was able to find that, you know, and obviously through in that as well, that that kind of fueled me too. Uh, those adversities, but I know Marcos, uh, we were talking about your injuries uh, in addition to, you know, the cancer and the family. Uh, how did you approach your injuries that you had over the course of, of your career as well? Uh, hard hit it. <laughs> I was uh, hard hit it for sure. I was uh, the, the hernia that I had and the surgery I had. The doctors told me that uh, when it was time to get the check and see if I can come back and play, uh, he told me I can, but I probably do need to sit out about four more weeks. And it's my senior year. I want to go to college, too. And, uh, you know, being young, I didn't have an approach to understand how I should even take on these injuries. I don't know if it was era or anything of how we grew up of just wanting to be tough. I didn't have an approach as much, but uh, the collarbone injury in uh, college, I definitely was uh, having to take a PT with Dr. Jernigan, I want to say that's his name. And the PT that he had me doing once it was time for me to be able to do it was like a lot of band work, I remember. And 
I can't remember too much else right now off the top of my head with that, but I, I know we definitely had an approach to it a little more then. But high school, I, I got diagnosed with a, a heart murmur, irregular heartbeat, enlarged heart, all in, uh, and ulcers all in one setting. Cause I started throwing up blood after a workout, after uh, we lifted weights. So this is all then, and I got back from that injury and ended up getting my nose broke in regional tournament. And I played the very next day. So <laughs> mine was very hard headed. Did you have a? Did you have that mask on? That, that LeBron? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now mine was more like Richard Hamilton with all that, uh, with all that. What? Yeah, mine looked like it had all that padding in the back of it. <laughs> after looking, I was out there looking crazy, man. I couldn't even see. Dude, I hated that day, man. Yep, I definitely had it on. My nose still broke to this day. So tell me, I want to hear more about. Uh, the throwing up in large heart. I mean, it's a okay. Uh, not a, not a lot of athletes. I mean, it's it happens, and mm-hmm. it's one of the um, you know sudden cardiac arrest. I mean, with heck the the basketball right. player that excuse me the football player Hamlin uh, for mm-hmm. Buffalo Bills. Obviously, that happened happening recently. Um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of parents don't necessarily understand uh, what can right. happen and the severity of cardiac arrest and, and how that mm-hmm. occurred in athletes. So just give me like his, I just want to hear, you know, how, how that transpired. Okay. Uh, so one, I, I just remember, I remember I didn't eat that day. I, I wasn't eating for some reason that day. And it probably had a lot to do with just stress from home, but uh, I had a migraine, a real bad migraine. And I, uh, I was trying to live, and I was lifting with the team, and I told my coach, I was like, man, I got a migraine coach, and he was telling me to go in and go upstairs. So I headed in. My uh, The girls' coach, he seen me over by a trash, and I got to throwing up. And as I'm throwing up, I see it's nothing but blood. And you know how a coach would be like, oh, man, he's working, y'all, like he was messing with me. And I look, and I was just like, coach, it's blood. And I, my, my mother somehow, I guess I ended up passing out. Because when I came, as far as I can remember, was seeing my mom at the gym. And I was in the car with my mom headed to the hospital. And they hooked me up to a lot of things, trying to check everything and kept me there for a little while. Then they hooked me up to an EKG for like a Mm -hmm. week or two weeks, maybe. I think it may have been two weeks where this is mid-season and I'm walking around with an EKG on. And, you know, they checking my heart and trying to see what's going on with my everything with my heart and yeah i got back and they told me i had a enlarged heart irregular heartbeat heart murmur and uh ulcers this is this is quite a lot to deal with <laughs> on, on the road to being like a college basketball player <laughs> yes <laughs> and i'm listening to this i'm like did i even know all of this <laughs> like, yeah you know it, it's funny because it's funny I was just on the phone with my cousin Chris. I said, "Man, we're gonna have this podcast, and it's gonna be so many jewels or anything about my life that I'm like, I know Marco's gonna be like, dang, I didn't even know the boy was even going through none of that, or he went through all that.' <laughs> and high school was such. I was just, I don't know, my thing. My, I, I think I based my injuries about mental. You know, mm-hmm. I think my injuries was more like a mental, mental challenge type thing from ninth grade all the way through." Even through my college years, it was always like a mental challenge. And I would 
I would pace pace mental into injury, you know? Yeah. I mean, with, with all of that that you were dealing with, uh, I know you, you ended up, you know, going to college to play basketball. Uh, you, you even got a, a national championship uh, at your first stop that we'll get into. Mm-hmm. But were you ever discouraged? Uh, what do you mean? Like once I hit the Did, campus and no, 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 just just discouraged from like all these like these setbacks, you know, never, <laughs> like you're playing man, a game you, you love, know, but like it's it's crazy, crazy. It's not loving you man, back. It sounds even, like <laughs> right, but the crazy thing is, I never even thought about it because, like I said uh, earlier, our thing, our my dream was just wanting to play college ball and want to get out. So by any means, I knew I was going to get out. I didn't care about an injury or anything. Like I'm gonna get better. I'm going to get better, you know? So, like I said, like, I come from a fighting family of illnesses that my grandfather was supposed to pass away within the first three months when I was 10 years old, but he lived for six more years. So, I come from a a background where I'm just like, an injury is an injury. It ain't comparing to what what my family has been through. So, I'm just like, I'm going to get better. I'm going to outwork somebody. My thing was always like, just give me an opportunity. I didn't even... Honestly, I didn't care about scholarships or nothing. I just wanted opportunities because I knew I was going to outwork somebody just because of what I've been through or how I was raised on the hall fan or anything. I would always just look at people like, I know I'm outworking. Like, just give me opportunity. That's all I want. You know, so I never was discouraged. I was always excited. Everything excited me. Like, the injury moments, it, it excited me because it, it challenged me differently. It made me feel like I had to go through different. I felt like my story was going to be different. Like, I, you know how you look at a story of somebody in the NBA or you want to be like these people and you hear their story and it's so crazy what they may have been through as a kid. And then you realize as you're growing up, like, dang, I feel like I got that story. So right. you, somehow somehow you find positive within it because it's like, dang, it's like I'm creating the story for me, you know? And it's like, whoa, I'm going through that. So it's like they gave me the blueprint type thing. Like, man, if you do go through it, keep playing, keep fighting. Don't let nobody take away your love for the game and don't let an injury take away your love for the game. Just fall in love with what you fall in love with. And I just kept doing that. Kept doing it. I mean, honestly, that's the part of why I love sports. You know, I mm-hmm. I, I think growing up, like you look at these athletes on TVs and you kind of look at them like they're invincible. You know, they're your heroes. Mm-hmm. They're just scoring all the points. They're making these crazy highlight plays. And you're like, man, like these people – like an alien out there they come from like a different world but then you hear moments right. when they have to like you know overcome like tragedy you know whether it's personal loss whether it's physical loss and mm-hmm. that just kind of like allowed them to be and achieve like what they have uh so i think it's, it's i think that's to me it's like the dopest thing about sports you know it's yeah. like you know people's like setbacks and like their comebacks definitely definitely boy like all that the Everything you just said is 100%. It's spot on. Spot on. So your first stop was at University of Arkansas, Fort Smith. What was that like? Man, that's um, that's where I would say the, the, the discouraging things wasn't about injuries. It was getting on a team and you got – so I was on the number one JUCO team in the nation. We was the number one team all the way through the year. We only lost three games. We went 33-3. and three. And we were a powerhouse. We were the who's who of JUCOs. Like we, we weren't living a JUCO life of small, smaller <laughs> gym. Like we had a, we had the arena. We had a, we were seating probably five thousand or something in our arena. 
And then we had a big campus of probably like eight to 10,000 people for JUCO, you know, that that is pretty dang big, you know. So we had an actual campus and we was only JUCO because we didn't have all the sports. So we, I played with Sonny Weems that went to Arkansas. Me and Sonny played AAU ball together. And it was a it was a cool fit because I knew some of the people on the team. But uh, the hardest part that I felt I dealt with at University of Arkansas was uh, I, one, I chose the school super late because, like I said, I dealt with so many things. And this is me thinking about that that experience once I got older was mm-hmm. uh, I definitely didn't choose the schools that probably really wanted me. Like, Coach, I don't know, like, I, I had an opportunity where I could have went to UCA on a full-ride scholarship where uh, one of the one of the, one of of the parents was trying to help me with a full-ride scholarship there, and Coach Swift was helping me with that. But I didn't, I didn't even understand recruiting. I didn't understand anything about recruiting or anything. Like, I was, like, first generation when it came to, like, that to me and my immediate family. So my mom is not at home to sit and talk to me about school and what colleges I should choose or what degree plan I should go into or anything, right? So when I get there, I chose a school where we had the number one point guard in our class. We had the uh, number four point guard out of our class. And before our senior year, I was like a top five, top 10 point guard in the class. So before the injuries. So, and I know these guys. And then we had the number one point guard out of Houston. We all become boys, best friends and everything, but that was a challenge to realize that you're on the same team with everybody that's on the same level as you. And it was different to look around that room and everybody had the same conversations about playing in state or playing in this game or this and that. It was like, that was like a, it was different, especially when the coaches are not paying attention to you. So when the coaches weren't paying attention to me at 18 years old and you battling what you battle, you lose, uh, you lose your confidence. I, I lost a lot of confidence. I remember at the start, like I didn't feel like I was good enough and all this. But then I remember feeling like, you know, as the season went, I man, I gotta get this story off because Lord, oh man, I uh, I felt like I was getting better. I felt like I deserved to play, right? And you know how kids are at 18, 19, You always been the guy or something for your team. So now you got your pride coming in. And I remember uh, it was a game, man. We was up. We up 20. Coach comes down the row. He's like, all right, guys, let's go. It's like four minutes left. I stay sitting down. And my coach says, Martinez, you trying to go? Never in my life have I been a man of bad character or anything in my life. I don't know what told me to even do this. But I looked at him. I said, man, I'm good. And he said, all right. Oh, and boy. My- <laughs> 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 and say, say my dog, Sonny. Sonny was the number one Juco player in the nation. And he my dog. Been knowing him since we was like 15, 16 years old. He looked at me. He said, man, you stupid. I said, bro, I ain't nobody charity, bro. I'm not going to go out there. What, I cross somebody, everybody celebrate, or I score, everybody stand up. I had so much pride. Oh, my God. I remember going to my room, being frustrated. I called my uncle, my uncle that coached at Pine Bluff. And... I tell him what I'm doing, what I did, and he said, are you serious? He said, Martinez, do you know what you just did to your character? Do you know what you just did with that coach? He said, you ain't never in your life disrespected nobody, and you're going to wait till now? And then he was like, let me tell you, let me ask you something. Are you in the gym like you normally would be? Are you in your books like you normally would be? Or are, are you partying? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? 
man, I'm sitting on that phone. I got so many tears in my eyes. I'm crying. Like, man, my coach hate me, man. Like, I'm scared now. Like, I'm like, dang. And so he 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 ripped me a new one. And I went in my coach's office uh, like a few days after that. And I went in his office and I told him I wanted him to take my scholarship away. And he was like, what are you talking about? I was like, man, I, I just really feel like I disrespected you. And I, I, I'm not deserving of that scholarship right now. I would like to just try my best to try to earn that scholarship back and just treat me like a walk-on. Like, I don't get the free food from Taco Bell or wherever, you know. Like, like treat me like I, I disrespect you and I apologize for it. But, you know, I, I just didn't want to – I didn't want to feel like I was deserving of that scholarship if I do that. And he actually took it away. And that was the first time that I started learning how it felt to be a walk-on and learn how to work my butt off for what I needed. Right. And I started learning like one point guard could score. The other point guard was real good at just breaking down defenders and finding others. But one thing both of my boys lacked was they didn't care about defense like that. And although we was dominant, man, sometimes like people can get off a little bit. So I started learning how to let go of my pride, learning how to just be positive with everything like I always been and understanding that everything wasn't promised like everything in my life already. Cause I felt like when I got to college, I had I I built up my little pride like I was that guy or something, you know. And man, I earned my minutes from playing defense, and whatever minutes he was gonna give me, I was ready for it. And then he started putting me in certain moments where if somebody was scoring, he may put me in for a few minutes to lock that up, you know. And I'm now I'm like, oh yeah, I'm earning his respect again. I like this, you know. You know, as time goes, you know, you play a little defense, then you can show a little more offense. And as time goes, it just gets a little better for you. And that's what that's what would happen. You know, I learned how to find a role. Once I found my found my role and it was time for it, I was ready. I was ready for my little role then. But the story <laughs> was crazy, though. <laughs> I, I love the ending of that. Because when you said I'm good, I thought this was going to go like A.B. Like you was going to take no, the, no, take the no, jersey no. off. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it in the I stands. Know, I, don't, I don't know who I thought I was. I was tripping. I was tripping for real. Oh, I mean, that God. was that. I definitely did. I didn't either. I didn't think it was going that way either. I was <laughs> like, this, this is what AB did. <laughs> but no, I mean, that's uh, I mean, that's just. I mean, that's maturity. You know, I think. Yeah. You know, then accepting responsibility and saying, you know, I messed up. Um, you know, I got to be accountable for my actions, uh, accountable for what I decide to put into it or not put into it. And uh, for sure, yeah, man, I really did that. So I, earned, I had to earn everything. I wanted to earn everything because that's that's that was the lifestyle in the background where we came from was earning everything. You know, one nothing given. So I had to I had to go on and retract my steps and figure out like I'm not no city boy like I, we got people on this team from Detroit and Memphis and Oklahoma City and everywhere else you know like y'all more city you know I I'm not that person like my mine got to come from some a uh, different side of just being challenged and I was being challenged and I I at first I went went into hiding instead of accepting the challenge and being finding my letting go of pride I I showed weakness you know where I should have been showing a lot of strengths of understanding, like, man, this is part of, like, being adult, you know? Mm -hmm. You got to grow up. Yeah, that's real. I know I know LG could probably attest to this, too, but, you know, you have found a way to still stay around 
the game of basketball once mm-hmm. your college career has been over. And a lot of athletes probably don't have that seamless of a transition um, when their playing career is over. Like, how did you end up doing what you're doing now? What I'm doing today, I would say, man, I probably was living God's purpose, man, since I was a little kid. Like, like that's what I meant by, like, not saying different as in better than nobody. I just felt like I was a different kid was I was always trying to train myself. I would always try to do certain things just to better myself all the time. And, you know, we didn't have YouTube or nothing to look at. But um, as I got older, by by the time I was in the seventh grade, man, I would go to uh, – you remember Coach Hobson, right? Mm-hmm. So I would uh, – Coach Hobson was real close to our family and stuff, so we had the number. I would call Coach Hobson or go knock on Coach Hobson's door at 5 in the morning in the seventh grade, riding my bike over there in the summertime. And I just be like, hey, Coach Austin, you know, I was just trying to see if I could get the key to the gym, right? And I ride my bike to the gym. It'd be like me and my uh, my little cousin Chris, and uh, we'll go in the gym. I'm getting shots up by myself. I'm working on it, whatever I want to work on. Coach Earl's up there by now, by the time I – and he looking at me like, how the heck this boy get in this gym? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he'll talk to me for a little minute or whatever, but he ain't asking no questions every day. I do the same thing. And then it started being Coach Hobson would either he wouldn't answer, but I know like if he's not answering, he's probably in the backyard. So I peek over the fence. Hey coach, I was just trying to see if I can get the key to the gym. And he'll he'll give it to me. Then it got to a point where he's like, hey, the key's in the mailbox. You can tell he's getting irritated. So one day I go I go over there and he's just like, Look, I don't want you to tell none of them senior boys, no boys that you know or anybody, but I made a key. So seventh grade, I had to keep through the high school gym. And I would just go in that gym all the time and just work and work and work and train. And I remember uh, like on a random day, Coach Earl seen me training one day. I was in like the eighth grade. And Coach Earl tells the, and you know how cold everybody was back then. Oh yeah. By the time we was like in middle school. So I, I gotta say this before I even keep going. Like in our small town, we had cats going to Yukon. So mm-hmm. you can only imagine a 4,000 town, Yukon, Arkansas State, and East Tennessee State, and all that in that town. So those are the people we looked up to. And one day, Coach Earl tells some of the guys that was in there shooting, I don't think it was Chad or anybody, rest in peace, but uh, he tells them, like, y'all go down there and work work with Martinez. He got some work for you. And I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know no terminology. Nothing. I'm like, all right, you're going to do this? You're going to go over here? <laughs> you know, and but – I started like training my little cousin when I was in the ninth grade, he was in the eighth grade and the journey started there. And when I got to college, everything became so mental, mentally challenging for me with my sport where I never, I never was able to get over the hump of what the mental side was doing to me with family. And so basketball became very therapeutic. And I would just I would go in late nights, whether I was in Iowa or at Harding, twelve o'clock at night, and I'd just be training myself all the time and just getting shots up, shots up, shots up, just to clear my head all the time. But it was always something that was always written in my mind that I wanted to do this because I remember one day, I can't remember what age I was, but I remember seeing Tim Grover and they said Tim Grover was uh the trainer for Michael Jordan and D Wade and all them. And I remember for some reason, man, it clicked in my head. Like, man, I want to be that guy. Like, it was something about being able to be behind the scenes and 
be able to train the who's who people, but nobody know who you are, you know? Mm. So it was something cool about that to me where imagine being able to sit front row at a game, but you're training Kevin Durant or somebody, you know what I mean? But don't nobody know you, but you dabbing up KD, but you and KD are there, you know? Yeah. And so as time went, I uh, started studying up on YouTube. When YouTube first came out around 06, I would go, me and Chris would, my cousin Chris would go work out. We'll go to YouTube and try to find somebody maybe doing some basketball stuff. And it was Gannon Baker. And uh, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with the basketball training world, but uh, Gannon Baker was sort of like the, to me anyway, was like the guru. He was the start of like being able to see people turn a business into from basketball training. And, and then as I went, it was another guy on there by the name of Michael Lancaster. He was under Gannon Baker and Tyler Ralph. They both were under Gannon Baker. And I started wanting to watch their videos more. And as I would watch these videos, my cousin, he'd be like, man, that's crazy. Like, you literally were just doing some work that was just similar to that stuff. I'm like, I know, right? That's some weird stuff, man. But it's throwing me off because I'm like, man, I don't know who these guys are. So now, fast forward, I, um, I'm finishing up at Harding University. I tell my coach, like, man, I want to start training. And I was working at uh, Academy Sports, an outdoor in uh, Sherwood, about 40 minutes away from Searcy, Arkansas, where I was living and going to college. I um, was working. By now, I had been telling everybody at the job, like, man, I'm going to start doing this basketball training thing. I didn't have one client. I didn't have a brochure or anything. But for some reason, it was on my mind all the time. And one day, I was trying to get to work. I didn't have no money. I scraped up about $8 and some change. And I remember going to the gas station and so many people that knew me from hoop and seen me putting all them quarters and all that stuff up there on that counter. And I was like, dang. And then you remember how I said I had the pride as a freshman. I didn't have pride no more. Shoot, I put that change up there, said what up to them, took my butt to work. But <laughs> when I got to work, my gas light came on. And I didn't have nobody to call to get, get no help, right? And so for some reason, it told me to bet on myself that day. That night, I shook everybody's hand. They didn't know I was quitting or nothing. I shook everybody's hand. I said, boy, I appreciate y'all. And, uh, man, I'm going to go on and start this journey, you know. And what happened was I went back to Cersei. I started my own training thing by uh, finding some brochures and just creating them, talking to my coaches. And I got into the training game like that. But I just never even went back to Academy Sports. And <laughs> I just I just bet on myself then. And as time went, the uh, gap of me learning and studying was uh, the goal was to train a lot of kids to make them understand. Don't come to me as a as me being a basketball player, but as a basketball trainer. So I wouldn't train people like how I played. I, I would study the body and everything else from me watching Michael Lancaster and Tyler Ralph. So next thing you know, the thing got a lot better. I uh I get I get connected with uh, a couple of people and I'm training, right? I'm still in college. Keep in mind I was still in college and so I'm training my cousin one day and I we decided to email Michael Lancaster. So we like, man, let's see how much he charged for him to come to us and train us. Man, he told us a price so crazy. I, I told my cousin, though, we, we finished training that day in the gym. I said, cuz, you know what, man? One day, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to know dude. And, uh, man, we gonna be, I'm going to be training with him. Man. I'm going to be able to travel and train kids and all this, this and that. And fast forward, like, three years later, 
I somehow I get connected with him and I get out to uh, Durham, North Carolina to train kids. He, he like invites me out and, you know, gives me, uh, help me out on uh, trying to get there. He, he was charging like a hundred or $200. And I told him I, I didn't even have $50. I said, I can't even lie to you. So he cut the number down to $25 that he could, uh, I could pay him. And a buddy of mine that I was living with, shoot, he was just as broke as me. We were scraping up money just to eat little Caesars for two days. You know what I'm saying? Did you we, say he we lived off the Caesars. Hold on. Did you say he charged you $25 or $225? 25 He was charging Man. 200 And he cut my say, number down to 25 And little did he know, I didn't even have $25 to really give him. And my yeah. partner, he gave my, my buddy gave me $25, and it was his last. And wow. I shook his hand, man. I got on that road. My aunt got a rental for me, got a hotel mm. for me. I got on that road, got out there. And so Micah, Micah had a formula that he would give. So he, he sent me two emails mm-hmm. of videos that he wanted me to incorporate with the training for the kids. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like a coaching clinic. So the right. first day... I get there. It's like 40. It was seemed like it was like 30, 40 people there. But uh, I get there. I'm not discouraged or anything. Like I say, like my background, I'm, I feel like I'm going to make it regardless, you know. So I get there, man. I pull up. This man, I feel like this man didn't don't even know my face or anything. He gets out of his car. I pull up right when he pulls up. And he looks at me. He said, hey, what's going on, man? You Martinez? I said, yeah. And we shake hands and we just get to have a conversation. Little do I know he knows uh, Ron Crawford, the guy that sort of had me training out there in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I get inside. I train. It's 10 of us on the court that's training with him. So mm-hmm. we're on the court. We're training with him the first day. And it's like 30 of them that's sitting in the stands. So we're doing the training where he can explain his methods. And, man, I can't lie. He's killing me. He killing all of us, but I'm yeah. I, I feel like I'm I'm murdering this joint because it's all ball handling work, and so the guy that's working with me, he like man, bro, I ain't gonna lie, man, you might make it, like you killing this. We do our training that day. The next day, he lets us know that we got it's a two hour window where everybody gets only seventeen minutes to train these kids. Seventeen minutes, that's it, and you got to incorporate two videos that he gave you, and you got to do your own thing with them. Right. So I got it's funny because I, I do got a, a funny, like crazy story for it. it seemed like just a lot of just triumphant, funny things was the night before he had a, he gave us a binder of like 150 terminology based things that we had to know by Sunday for mm-hmm. filling the blank test. So I'm studying that, but I'm also trying to come up with this workout for the Saturday work. Mm-hmm. So, man, I'm sitting up all night trying to figure this out. My cousin, he like, man, I'm trying to go out, bro. What you trying to? I said, bro, bro, I'm not up here for that. I'm I'm really locked in, bro. I can't do none of that. You can go on and go if you want to. So I'm locked in. I uh man, I get to we go to sleep. I wake up the next day, I look at my workout. I just rip it up and I put it in the trash. And my cousins are like, cuz, what you doing, man? I said, bro, I literally just did a whole workout in my mind the whole night over and over. Like, I already know what I'm going to do. I literally dreamed it. It's so crazy, bro. So I get to the gym super early. I'm looking at these cats go, and a lot of them are just very vanilla with how they're talking to the kids. They're like, all right, guys, so what we're going to do, we're going to have fun. We're going to focus. We're going to do this and do that. And you can tell the kids are not engaged. And I'm just like, dang, like, bro, that like this, this ain't it. You know, so Micah, like I said, Micah, for some reason, like he was fooling with me. 
he comes over to me. He's like, man, you see something wrong with everything that you're seeing today? I said, man, I feel like ain't nobody been in sales. Like, other than that, I don't know what's going on, you know? And he's like, I know you got me, right? I said, I got you. It ain't nothing. So I go to train. And I train him for the last 17 minutes of a two-hour work. And uh, by now, it's a lot of parents in the stands. They don't watch a lot of the guys train their kids. So I'm training. And uh, the first thing I do with the kids was I go up to them like, hey, man, what's going on? What's your name? They tell me the name. I'm like, where you from? Oh, okay, okay. What school you want to go to? I want to go to Wake. I said, nah, nah, nah. See, I'm a Tar Heel fan. You know, so I'm connecting with them. I'm talking noise to them or whatever. And then, you know, the first thing I tell them uh, is, all right, so listen. The first thing we're going to learn today is energy and effort. That's all I want. I say it ain't about anything that you're about to learn about skill. Everything's about energy and effort. So if you can give me that, we can learn a lot. And we started there because, every, like I said, everybody was just so, like, they're trying to impress instead of being themselves. Right. So I, I go through the workout. It's literally only 17 minutes. I finish the workout. These parents start clapping a little bit. I see Michael look at this other guy that was already on with him, do the little head nod. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm in there. So now I'm juiced, you know, like the kids are asking me this and that. Like, so how did you start this? And when you were training or when you were hooping, what did you do? I'm like, oh, yeah, I love this. And that was like my first niche of knowing, like, oh, I know this is my purpose for real. And I took the test the next day. It was 150 questions, fill in the bank, all terminology based about footwork and everything else. And took the test, got home. I got no phone call. I'm, I'm over here sad. It's like three days I went by. Micah calls me. Hey, man, I'm trying to see if you got your email. You know, he's just like, I'm just letting you know you made it as a regional trainer. I look at you as like one of my, uh, like an NBA trainer, future NBA trainer, and uh, G League. You're G League certified and overseas certified and all this. I'm sitting on the phone like, man, what? Like, what I just made? And the journey started there. And so just a background of Michael Lancaster, he started on possible training around that same time. So at that time, he really was looking for like his 10 legit, 10, maybe 20 legit trainers across the world. And he actually considered me to be one of them at the time. And I'm possible is the brand affiliate that I'm, I'm always part of. And we probably got over, he probably has over well over 400 people under him now across the nation. But, uh, Micah, trained Kyrie Irving and a lot of others too so for him to be mentioning me that way it was like yo this is crazy dog but the journey started there man and shoot I moved my butt to Austin with $250 in the pocket and a dollar in a dream <laughs> ready to go Real talk. I got more than I ever imagined I was gonna get <laughs> I'm telling you From you want this. this thing to keep going it can go bro I'm telling you right now it's this is uh one of those things that everybody like they keep telling me, like man you need to like write a book or tell your journey somehow i'm like man i'm i may do that one day i don't know but for sure go ahead and start journaling now so you don't so you remember all of it for sure, for sure. so i, I, I do i do want to ask another question though um mm-hmm. like with everything you said coming from a small town i know you, you've brought up like mindset a lot and like how that mindset is just kind of help you overcome like a lot of challenges. You mentioned the loss of your mom, you mentioned the cardiac stuff. Um, and even with doing what you're doing now, what would you consider to be your greatest comeback? Man, it, uh, man, finding my purpose, 
was the greatest comeback was because uh, I did sit uh, close and uh, gee, I definitely sat into a dark dark window for like a year and a half, man, when my mom first passed, where it just seemed like I was just dark, man, and I wasn't doing anything with myself or anything, but I, like I said, I had something that I tapped into before that prior, and it was just therapy for everything, but when I lost her, she was like one of my ace boom coons, and you gotta think, I was 20, 21 years old, so adulthood turned into me learning a lot of things on my own, all the way to now, like I'm 35 now, and I still have things that I still, like I trip out about, like that, it's crazy, I'm, I'm learning so many things, but um, that was the uh, the biggest thing, was bouncing back from that and finding purpose because I, I I tried to hit I hit a dead spot where I just was like willing to try to never like throw the towel in but I don't know if I was even having a pity party I I looked at it more like I that that was probably when I was depressed so mm-hmm. I was battling depression pretty heavy like I literally mm-hmm. just sat at the house all day man uh, I told somebody like I don't even remember even taking taking baths every day. I don't I don't remember doing none of that every single day. And you know, but one day it just hit me like this this can't be life for real. Like mama always wanted me to do more for myself or this and that. You know, I had to honor it differently. But the the biggest comeback was going through those moments was that uh losing her and challenge myself to go to a city after I did get on and move out here to Austin and not knowing one soul here when you moved here. So that was the biggest comeback uh, was that was was me having to triumph through that because I lost her around 21 and I moved out here at like 23, 24 years old. I think I was 24 going on 25. So that was uh, that was definitely it. Well, Martinez, man, for your time, bro. Uh, I think oh, a man, lot of people that is trying to play ball. You know, we'll definitely listen to this and take a lot of what you said to heart, too. I think there's a lot of pearls uh, that you dropped today in this interview, man. I'm going to this again. I'm going to be taking notes. <laughs> no, I'm really sitting it, up bro. here. I'm really sitting up here like, man, like, I didn't know half of what he just said. Who was he talking about? Like, this happened? Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of things happened, man. A lot of things. Man. From London to Austin. Hey, LTO. Don't let don't let Marcos fool you. Marcos was our shooter for real. Man, you know it's crazy. Out of all the years that I've I've known Marcos, we had never hooped together. <laughs> Marcos know he got that wing shot. That was man. I have not stepped on a court in a long <laughs> time. So, but it was yeah. it was definitely fun going down memory lane. All right, well, bro, I appreciate y'all, man. Hey, no problem. Hey, keep doing your thing, man. Proud of you. Most definitely, y'all keep going. This is gonna be big for for everything for y'all, man. I know y'all about to prosper on this, so y'all podcast is gonna be lit, man. I can tell y'all got the right substance, and I'm excited for y'all journey. Ready to see it, so. Yeah, we appreciate that, man. That means a lot. Yeah. You just finished listening to Comeback Season. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to Apple or Spotify to subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a review.